Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. To the best church in the world. Yeah, thank you. I may be a bit biased, but I really do love this church. I, I, this church is full with incredible people, uh, some of the most loving people, the most generous people, and, and also at sometimes the most encouraging people. Like, like this last week, I had a moment where uh, one of my friends sent me a message, and a young guy in our church saying, I've been away a while. Last year, I missed these, a, a sermon series of ours. Um, so I'm catching up, listening to some of your sermons on our YouTube channel, a life change YouTube channel. I was like, wow, so encouraged, the guy pressing in. And then he sent me this screenshot of that happening. Um, and then uh, I thought, wow, that's so cool. And then he, he asked me the question, what's that on your head? And before I could reply, he followed up with this picture. I thought it was uncalled for. Um, and before I started to sulk, my wife leant over, whispered into my ear and said, but I love salmon sushi. So, joke's on him. Haha. <laughs> anyway. But welcome to church, welcome to week two of our Into the Deep Vision series where we are, we believe God is calling us to leave the shores of comfort, to leave the shores of convenience, of, of compromise, of the crowd and calling us into the core, calling us into the calling of God, into calling us into the more that He has for us as we look at what it means to be a people who reach far, who raise up, who release wide, not just a list of things we do, but we believe this is who we are called to be. A people who leverage our lives to reach far, reach those who are far from God, who, who are living far away from. We want to be a people who reach out for that, be a people who raise up, become all that God has called us to be as disciples, as followers of Christ, and then call others to follow Him, and then to release wide, leverage our gifts, our talents, our treasures to be not the best church in the city, but the best church for the city. That's who we are, feel we are called to be. In this series, we believe there's actually a call, as Jesus says, into the deep for us to leave our comfort and say, Jesus, we're coming following you. So on that light, we want to read a passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 5. It's a Scripture we read a couple times in the last few weeks, but we're praying that this text will go deep into our hearts as uh, we go deeper into His. So Luke 5 is on the screen behind me, but verse 1 says this. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out to where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Just before I pray and we lean into this text together to see what God has got for us this morning, I want to tell you that there's a disclaimer I want to put on, on top of every single one of us. And it's the notion that God longs and He desires and He wants to 
bless you. God wants to bless you. Now, I don't know where you're from, what background, what tradition, how, uh, how far you feel you're away from God, or what idea or picture you have of God. Or maybe he's a distant God, uh, an angry God, or a tight-fisted God. I want to tell you that that could not be further from the truth, that there's the picture we see in Scripture of God is one that longs to bless humanity. Page one of the Bible opens up with God, with his hands are stretched to us before man had done anything. In Genesis 1.28, it says God made man and then blessed them. He blessed man before they did anything. And then when man responded in sinful arrogance and we got to the, the depth of our depravity, it was at that moment that God sent his greatest blessing, Jesus Christ, to come and save us. The Bible tells us while we were dead in our sins, he saved us. He called us as his own. Now, I want to tell you what that shows me is that before we've done anything, good or bad, he blesses us. When we've sinned to the fullest extent, he's blessed us even greater still with Jesus Christ. So God's nature is one that wants to bless. He wants to grow you. He wants to use you. He wants to raise you up into all that he has for you. But as our good friend Peter is finding out in this text, first, there is a catch. Now this morning, I'd love you to turn to five people and tell them the title of my sermon, Creative As It Is, There Is A Catch. Please tell five people. Five, find five people around you, tell them there is a catch. There's a catch. Why don't we pray together? Father, I thank you this morning as we come towards your word. I thank you that your word would call hearts alive this morning. Call us out of comfort into your calling. Call us out of compromise and convenience into conviction. Call us out of the crowd into the core, into the close walk with you that you have for us. I pray, Jesus, would your word do that. As we submit ourselves to your word, would you bring your fullness of life. I declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to say to you that, that if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, first you have to understand there is a catch. And from this text, I want to give us three non-negotiables that Jesus is calling us to fully embrace if we are to be true disciples of His. So number one, it'll be on the screen behind me, is that availability leads to the extraordinary. Let me set the scene for you. This, this passage opens up with Jesus' fame spreading. He's becoming a bit of a name, a notorious figure in the society. And the crowds are gathering. People, ticket scalpers are trying to get it on the act, trying to sell tickets to the Jesus show. There we've got people trying to get to the front so they can take a selfie with I was there moment. I can imagine the crowds are excited. They're pressing in. And Jesus is being hemmed in by this crowd. So he, he's, to, to avoid being crushed, so he steps into a boat to be able to better preach to this crowd. But before we see all of this excitement take place, the gospel writer, Luke, who's writing this account, he starts the story with these two words, one day. Now, that might not be anything for you, but it is a, an incredible insight to see because Luke was a doctor, a man of precise measurements, a man who, 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 was, who was very careful with the way he wrote this document, so much so in chapter one, he says, I gave careful insight to how I prepared this document for you, Theophilus. He, he gave careful insight on everything he wanted to write down. In chapter three, he, before he talks about Jesus' baptism, he labors the point of this was the time of King Tiberius, and this was the governor at that time. This was the rulers of this time. These were even the high priests. Luke is doing what no, no other of the gospel writers do, giving extra detail all the time. End of chapter 3, he gives us the, the longest genealogy you find in the scriptures, even more than Matthew. He goes all the way back to Adam, the most precise of the genealogies, because Luke's a doctor, man of detail and precision. But then we find him in Chapter 5, this story just goes one day. 
It's almost like it doesn't match up with his, 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 uh, the way he writes and the way his, his mind would think. But what I love what he's doing here is he's not showing us that this was a high day or a holiday or an important day in the, in the minds of the people. But actually, I think he was tapping into a human longing, a human desire in our hearts that actually so often we equate extraordinary things and extraordinary moments with God to extraordinary days or when life seems extraordinary. I want to tell you, I think there's a temptation of us to do that. And I think way too many of us, myself included, are disqualifying growing and being used by God because of the ordinariness of our situations. Uh, let me tell you, I think my day is pretty similar to you most weeks, is that we wake up in the morning, press snooze a couple of times, go downstairs, debate whether it's Pranutra or Brand Flakes today. We get in the car, we listen to Wackhead Simpson. If you're still protesting Ryan O'Connor's exclusion, you're listening to Smile FM. Come on, guys, forgive them now, forgive them. Thank you for the three of you. Anyway, and then we go on the way to work, we shuffle some papers, we tick some boxes, we get in the car, we race through back through traffic, and we get home hoping to catch a couple episodes in the Netflix clue, uh, queue before we get into bed, and we do it all over again the next day. As Dolly Parton would say, working nine to five, what a way to make a living. Was the great prophetess, the, the amazing orator of our time, Rihanna would say, work, 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 work. Let me tell you, I think too many people are wishing away moments of potential because they're waiting for another moment to come. A one day when, a one day if, when my life gets together, when, if this comes through, if that breakthrough happens, if this moment happens, if that thing, then I will be able to be a used of God. But actually God is saying, will you hand me your ordinary, your one day? I believe today could be your one day, not just another church service, but this could be the one day because Jesus is he's an expert in transforming, he specializes in transforming the ordinary to the extraordinary when it's made available to him. As we keep reading this text, and I see not just one day, but actually we see that there's this whole story is around a crowd getting around Jesus, but it almost seems like this, the, the, the whole shift of the conversation goes from the crowd to one man named Peter, Simon Peter. And this man, let me tell you, this man was not an extraordinary man by any stretch of the imagination. He was a most unqualified man. So I ask the question, why, what would attract Jesus to Peter initially? Because when I look at it, read the text, and I start looking at Peter's life, Peter was unqualified to the hilt to be called a disciple of Jesus. And to, to carry the mandate that Jesus was going to have him carry, he was so unqualified. He was an angry man, a man of a short temper, a man who was violent, who was filthy-mouthed, who always had a foot in his mouth, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. This guy was unqualified. So again, I ask, what attracted Jesus to Peter? I, I, I'd like to suggest to you that Jesus, in this moment, there was a crowd gathering around him, and he looked around and he needed a boat to preach from. So he got in one boat and said, hey, can I use your boat? I'd just like to suggest that, that in that moment, Peter stepped into Jesus' story. Why? Because he made his boat available. Because the writer tells us there's two boats. Can I tell you, I believe that if Peter said, no, thank you. I've just cleaned the boat. I'm going in. Please get out my boat. I think Jesus would have gone, okay, and got in the other boat. And the story might have been very different. Similar for what Jesus had in mind, but different for Peter. What, what am I trying to say in this moment is that actually, I think for all of, for some of us, for all of us, that actually God is always wanting to use those things that are unqualified, but available to him. This is his modus operandi. This is not something new that he did. All the way through scripture, God is always using unqualified, but available people. In the book of Genesis, we see him meet up with Abram. He says, Abram, I want to use you. But Abram puts up the excuse, I serve foreign gods. He says, but are you available? 
Are you available? Moses is on the run for murder, but God says, are you available? We've got, we see Gideon who's hiding in a wine press and in fear and cowardice, but are you available? The book of Judges is filled of a whole bunch of men who retreat and step back from the call of God. So God says, okay, I'll use a lady, Deborah, can you step up? And all the way through scripture, we see God using unqualified person after unqualified person, but people who are just available. And this is where discipleship starts because God is not looking for accreditation. He's not looking for supplication. He's not looking for inspiration. In fact, God is not looking for anything, any of your skill to do it. He's looking for those who just have the will to do it. Let me say it again. God's not looking for those who have the skill to do it. He's looking for those who have the will to do it. So much so that I think God so loves using the foolish things of the world. The Bible actually says he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I've underlined that and I've written my own name about foolish things. And when I tell that, usually my wife says, amen. But why? God loves using the unsuccessful, the unqualified, the ordinary things of the world to shame the wise because the people who seem like they should be the ones in the limelight, the ones who have the skill to do it, often have their hands too full to be used by God. But God is saying, will you be available in the story? But I love this, in this story because it moves on in this understanding that Jesus sees this crowd and he loves crowds. He feeds crowds. But the amazing thing, when there's always a crowd, I believe Jesus is always looking for the disciple in the crowd. Because he's wanting people to go on a journey. He doesn't want them to stay at arm's length away. He doesn't want them to stay at a distance. He wants them to come close to him. So this incredible journey, where Jesus says, Peter, can I use your boat? I think was an invitation for Jesus to pull Peter closer into his story. This is the journey for many of us. The crowd to the committed, to the core. And God wants to take us on this journey. And this is not a, 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 like a, a course we're running, or this is not even like now the systematic way to do it. Where are you in this journey? Actually, I just want to say that your, your ability to move from the crowd to the closest with Jesus is dependent on you. And make it not on your ability, not on am I cool, am I cool enough, am I good enough, have I sinned less than the other person? No, it's are you available? And will you make your life available to Him on that journey? And I believe that this story, actually this journey of moving that, is, that you and I need to take up, so not just sitting in the crowds, but actually moving into trusting Him, starts with Jesus asking you and I now, right now, what's in your hand that you'll push out for me? What's in your hand that you'll relinquish? The things that you've said are unsuccessful, the things that you've put aside, the things that you've left alone. Because can I tell you, even the understanding, there was one day, ordinary, one man, unqualified. There was one boat that was unsuccessful. It had gone out and fished and come back empty-handed. But Jesus says, I want to use that thing. Maybe you're sitting here today and saying, oh, you know what, I'll be used by God when my marriage comes right. Jesus says, no, no, give me your marriage now. What shall I do with your marriage? No, I'll come right when my business comes right. Then I, when I make that big deal, then I'll honor God with the finances. No, 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 God says, give me that boat now. Give me that boat now. That's empty, I will fill it. Trust me with it. I do extraordinary things when things are available. The things that you are disqualifying God from using, give it to him now and watch what he'll do with it. Because God takes the ordinary, the unsuccessful, the unqualified things, and He does extraordinary through them. I want to tell you this morning that God wants to do extraordinary things through your life. But there's a catch. Will you make your life available to Him? Second point this morning is, as I read this text, it leaps out of me that obedience leads to breakthrough. Jesus moves the narrative on where He says to Peter, Peter, I want you to go take this boat and I want you to go out in it, go, go out into the deep, and I want you to cast your nets on the other side. And I love Peter here. Peter gives us a lesson in what true obedience looks like. Peter firstly tells us, as in his response, we see that true obedience 
it's not measured or shown by sight. Because you see, in this, in this story, I can imagine Peter could have said to Jesus, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. I am a fisherman. I've done this for years. My dad was a fisherman. My dad before him was a fisherman. This is what we do. I know these waters like the back of my hand. The fish are not here. You're a carpenter. Yeah, maybe a great teacher, but please leave the fishing to me. Because if it was based on sight, he could have said that. But obedience is not based on sight. Neither is obedience based on feelings. Could have said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm, you know, I appreciate it. I know you're wanting to help, but I'm tired. I'm exhausted. These guys, these reprobates, these fishermen, we've been fishing all night. Their jokes have got filthier and filthier. You don't want to be around them. Let's send them home. And actually, if I have to call them out again, we have to get the nets out again. And then we have to probably pay them overtime. Please, Jesus. But f- obedience is not based on sight, nor is it based on feelings. Actually, it's not circumstantial at all. But I think you and I get, and myself included, get so caught up in this problem of having circumstantial obedience. When it suits me, when it feels good, when it feels right, when the inclination, I've got it, when things are going well for me, obedience seems easy. But actually, I think too often we buy into a a type of Katy Perry obedience. What I mean by that? I'm hot and I'm cold. I'm in and I'm out. I'm yes and I'm no. I can't remember how the rest goes. But I think a lot of us get that, where we, we up one day, and then suddenly life gets a bit of a blow, and, and actually then we shelve, actually, I just got to make things work before I obey Jesus again. But obedience is not based on your circumstance. It's based on your response and your revelation of Him. You see, this is what separates Peter from the crowd in this moment, is Peter's response to Jesus. First word is this, he says, Master. Now that for me is profound. Because I believe the crowds had come and they were coming seeking the teacher, the one who's going to teach them with inspiration. Jesus is going to give us a great quote for our Instagram selfie you're going to put up later. Bam. Come, all, come to me all who are thirsty. Wow, that's going to be amazing. A million likes. You know, Jesus is going to inspire us. Jesus is going to pep us up for the week ahead. And often we can approach Jesus as the one who's going to encourage us when we're down. When actually Peter comes to him, as, doesn't see him as teacher, but sees him as master. Master. Now here's the thing. The crowd came and they got a good message. It was only Peter who, Peter who got the miracle. The crowd got the message, but Peter got the miracle. Actually, I think the reason why was actually the crowd came wanting to hear Jesus teach the Word of God, but Peter responded to him and said, you are the Word of God. There's a huge distinction here. And actually, I think we need to understand this hugely because for me, we, I'm, I'm having to learn, I, I beg of us to learn this quickly, that we would allow God to be God in our life. Allow God to be God in your life. What I mean by that is that actually I want to declare this over us. We were made for Jesus by Jesus. That's the story. That's the highest level of our experience, that we were made by Jesus for Jesus, not by marriage for marriage, not by kids for kids, not by work for work. Can I tell you, when you put that in place, you're going to end up in distraction and devastation. That's why your marriage is struggling. That's why you're not living in freedom with your kids. I would suggest because you've allowed those things to take the highest priority, you're taking your cue off them and not taking your response off God. Master, he says to him, master. And actually, this is the sort of understanding is that Peter has this old school type of faith response, an old school faith, where he says, master, we fished all night and caught nothing, but because you say so. And I think the church needs to get back this, this, this almost archaic faith of saying, actually, despite what we see and hear, despite the logical reasons, but because you say so, God, I'm going to respond in faith. This is who we are called to be. And actually, this rides up and it rallies against the creeds of our day. In the 90s and early 2000s, Sprite had emblazoned on billboards across the world their slogan, Obey Your Thirst. Then the Oprah-esque type preachers came in after and said, you know what, the, the, the creed of our day is follow your heart. 
And now the truth of our moment of yeah, hashtags at the bottom of Instagram and Facebook on millennial pages all over the world is a statement, live your truth. Now I want to tell you the scripture's answer to all of those. No, no, no. Don't obey your thirst, obey his word. Don't follow your heart because your heart is deceitful above all things. It'll lead you to passivity and destruction. Follow his spirit. Actually, don't live his, your truth, live his truth. These things need to override these things and they rally against the culture of our day because the culture of our day says, do what feels good to you. But this always, Jesus says, no, no, no. My breakthrough's on what doesn't feel good to you. What isn't natural? The things that rally against your flesh. Actually, the way of the spirit is opposed to the way of the flesh. And this is what obedience leads us into if we start to understand this correctly. A man, R.T. Kendall, a great writer and theologian, wrote this book a while ago called Your God is Too Safe. And the title alone gets my heart racing. But actually, the gist of what he's saying, he's saying, if, if your God always agrees with you and never demands much of you, then maybe you've made yourself your own God. A.W. Tozer said this way, he said, God created man in his image, and ever since, man has been recreating God in their own image. So God can fit our paradigms, and God can fit, he doesn't know the culture and pressures of our day. No, no, old school faith says, because you said so. And that's who we are as a people. You see, John G. Lake said it this way. He was this incredible uh, man who had, in the, ni- in, the, in the 20th century, had this ministry of power and breakthrough. And guys came and said, John G., and, and again, I, I hasten to add, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't call him John G., that was his rapper name, Mr. Lake. Mr. Lake, or John G., whichever way you're going. <laughs> that was a good joke. I apologize. I'm still laughing at it. They said, Mr. Lake, what are the secrets to your breakthrough and sustained breakthrough in power? And I can imagine, he said, I've got three points. You know, that's why I've got three points. Three points seem to work. And, uh, and I can imagine, he said, I've got three points. You know, going, oh, here we go. Boys, he's going to say, get the oil from there. Get the, that, make sure you get the right anointing oil. Make sure you do this sort of trip. Make sure you do these three steps. Make sure you do the, the hokey pokey and turn all around about. And, and watch God's, you know, he's like, what's the secret? And he says, here it is. Firstly, I read the Bible. He says, secondly, I believe the Bible. And he says, thirdly, I act on the Bible. Maybe that doesn't fill you with excitement, but for me, what that shows me shows that actually breakthrough and blessing are available to every single one of us who breed it, believe it, and act on it. There's no superstars in the kingdom of God. There's only people who will be available and obedient. And this is what God is calling disciples, not just some ones or twos, but he's calling out of the crowd, he's calling you and I to pick up this mandate today at Life Changes Church. Because I want to say that obedience is offensive, it's dangerous, but it's exhilarating and thrilling and will lead you into the deep where there's breakthrough every single time. In October last year, came home from a meeting like this with my wife. We sit down. She says, Gabe, we, we need to talk. I was like, oh, here we go. So I sat down. She says, you know, during worship, I felt God just put an impression in my heart and speak to me and and I feel that, you know, that in two months' time, we, we finished paying off your car. I'm like, yep, we've been really good with that stewardship, you know. We've paid it off, and now when that, we finished with that fee, that money's now going to be freed up, and we're going to be able to do some other things with it. It's amazing. Oh, it's incredible. We budgeted really well. Thank you, fee. Oh, yeah. She goes, no, no, that's not where I'm going with this. She says, I feel God saying that when we've paid off that car, we need to give it away. Now, at that moment, I closed my eyes, and I said, get behind me, Satan. No, I did not. If I said that, I would not have been eating for the next month. But um, I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. But if I'm honest, the next two months, 
from that time to December, I wrestled internally saying, yeah, let's do that. But internally, everything, every self-preserving mechanism inside of me was fighting this radical obedience. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know what? I started reasoning and going, you know what? Wisdom would say that actually we don't have the finances to do that. We're having a second child coming up this year. Uh, how can we give away our biggest car and, and then have put two kids in that car and with our lifestyles, how are we going to make it work? You know, we've got to be effective for the kingdom, you know? You know, start reasoning this thing. And also my reasoning starts going, but you know what? Actually, God, I start telling him, God, let me tell you a better strategy. In December, this last year, we, we lent our car over the holidays to three families who used it because they didn't need to have a car for that moment. You know what? If we do that every month, Three times 12. 36 families get blessed, God. 36 families. Come on. Sharp. But as I wrestled this, I realized that actually my only possible response, if I want to live in the breakthrough, if I want to live not in comfort but in calling, if I want to live not in the crowd but in the core, closest, walking with Him and allowing His voice to become real in my life, the dangerous, dangerous circled path of obedience I need to pick up, demanded I respond with, Master, I don't know how this is going to work out but because you say so. I don't know what's going to happen, but because you say so. And in January, we had the privilege of signing our car over and handing keys over to somebody in the community of, our, of life changes here. And as he said, wow, this is a huge blessing. I remember saying to him, you don't understand the blessing that it is to me. And I said it with such joy and excitement because this is the reason why when God managed to get into my heart and I, and I opened up my hand, I know that actually I'm not giving to a man in the community. I'm giving to the father who never remains in my debt. I'm giving to somebody who can, I can never outgive the giver. That, and actually, that actually, this is not now, he's not saying if you do this, I'll do this for you. He says, I've got way more for you. Trust me. Because if you, I can get you to open your hand with this, I can fill your other hand with so many other good things. Because actually, God is not trying to free us away from, to make us miserable. He's actually trying to make us free so we can be the people of obedience and faith and seeing the impossible happen. But too many of us have our lives filled with other things and don't want to let go of these things because then what? I want to tell you this morning that God has breakthrough for you. He has breakthrough in your marriage, breakthrough in your finance, breakthrough in your spiritual life. He has breakthrough for you. But there's a catch. It demands obedience. It demands obedience. Thirdly and finally this morning, as I read the scripture, I see that death leads to life. The this, this story ends in a dramatic fashion, a massive catch of fish being hauled out. Peter is freaked out by this miracle. He throws himself down before Jesus said, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. And Jesus says, you're right, you are, but I'm not departing from you, I'm coming closer. And Jesus lifts him up and says, actually, Peter, from this moment, you're going to leave everything and you're going to come follow me. The scripture ends with, they did just that. They left everything and followed Jesus. I love that. I love this, this thing. They leave this massive catch of fish. And Jesus says to them, they, go, they, can, they could have started in that moment, started leveraging that for their story. This massive catch of fish, they could have started saying, you know what, if we can get Jesus, how much do you want Jesus per week? I know you're doing this, this touring, uh, uh, what's it called, teacher, the rabbi job that you've got going on. But what if you give us two days a week and you'll be our spiritual fish finder? Jesus, come with us on the boat and you can just tell us it's over there. We'll be amazing. I and J will be out of business in seconds. They could, have, they could have said, you know what, guys, this is going to be such a thing. Get the Discovery Channel. We're going to do Fishermen of Galilee. And Peter, if you can work on that water, walking on water thing, that's our intro. Bam. Smash hit. They could have leveraged this catch for their good, for their story, for their glory. But Jesus says, that's too small. That's too small for you. And actually, Jesus says, excuse the pun, we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got a bigger journey here. And Jesus demands them to leave all that they've got 
to trust Him for the more. You see, this is the amazing thing that gets you. A friend of mine once said this statement. He said, maybe we're not living in true resurrection power because we're not truly dead yet. Maybe we're not living in resurrection power because we're not truly dead yet. We're still clinging on to our lives. Actually, I want to tell you the scripture and Jesus demands of his disciples, die to self. Die to opinion. Die to what man says you. Die to the systems of this world. Would you die, lay your life down for the sake of others? So much so that actually Jesus keeps on putting this emphasis that actually this whole thing of this faith is based on the fact that there's always a catch. There's always a catch. What I mean by that, Jesus says, you want to be the greatest? All the hands in the room are like, yeah. He says, serve. Serve one another. That's how you'll be the greatest. He says, you want to receive? Yes. Then give. Give it away and watch what I'll give back to you. He says, you want to grow? You must sow. If you want to find your life, you must lose it. There's always a catch. Jesus always plays this way. He says, actually, the way to greatness is different to the way of the world. The way to life is not clinging to it. It's actually laying down your own life and picking up his. And I love what I love about this is Jesus was not calling them to something that he would not do ultimately at a far greater level. Jesus himself comes into the story in Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he took on the nature of a servant. He became available. He took on the nature of a servant, of the unqualified, of the ordinary, of the unsuccessful man. He took on the nature of a servant. And in the garden, he says, God, though my flesh says one thing, not my will, but your will be done. The greatest act of obedience that opened breakthrough for, for, for millennia for men, men and women across the board and then the Philippians 2 carries on and says he became obedient, obedient unto death, death on a cross. And because of that death, it says, but God raised him up three days later and gave him the name above every other name. And not just him getting the name above every other name. It says many sons, including you and I, came to glory because of that. Because of that life that was laid down. Because death always leads to life when you bring it to Jesus. So let me tell you this morning, I've been saying this again and again. I want to remind us as we land that God wants to bless you. God wants to grow you. God wants to use you. God wants to raise you up into all that you could never be on your own. He wants to do the extraordinary through. He wants to bring breakthrough to your story. He wants to bring life and life abundantly. But there's a catch. Will you make yourself available? Will you be obedient? Will you lay your life down for him and for others? But maybe I've been getting it wrong this whole time. Maybe I can give a fuller description of it. I believe that God wants to bless you. He wants to grow you. He wants to use you. He wants to raise you up. Maybe not only but there's a catch, but rather because there's a catch. Because there's a catch. This whole story lands with actually not Peter at the center, nor the crowds, but actually the fact that Jesus is saying, actually, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to take your ability just to make something work now, and I'm going to give you the ability to lay your lives down, be available, to be obedient, and to lay your lives down, to see many sons and daughters raised to abundant life around you. Can I tell you, the decisions you and I are making today will determine whether we walk into breakthrough, into extraordinary things, or into the life that God has for us. But more importantly, those decisions have effect on those around us. Those decisions have effect on our children. Those decisions we make to stand in and say, God, I'm going to make this available has, has effect on the people who are not yet part of us. Those who are far from God that tell you the decisions that my grandfather's made got me to where I am today. 
I tell you, the decisions men and women made in this church have opened up opportunity for us here that we have never understood. And God is saying, will you life change this church? Be a people who be available, be obedient, who die to self for the sake of those yet to come. Because when we hold this thing, that's when we become true disciples. Can we close our eyes, please? Mark reminded us earlier, as I've been reminding us of some songs this morning that have been in my Apple, Apple iTunes playlist, of a song in the 90s of a Christian band named Switchfoot. And Switchfoot had this song that, that got them to the pinnacle of their career, and this, the title of it was, I Dare You to Move. I Dare You to Move, written from the perspective of God, and one of the lines, the gist of it saying, move from where you are to where you should be. And actually, I want to tell you, this message is not a message to be received and then left alone. This would be a message to be received, obeyed, and acted upon. You've heard the word. Now I pray, and the Spirit of God is here upon the word, and He's wanting us to match that, that moment with faith and obedience. So I'm going to say to you this morning, what is your move? What move do you need to make? Moving from comfort to the calling God has. Moving from convenience or compromise to conviction. Moving from the crowd to the core, what is that step? What are you going to make available? What are you going to be obedient and what do you need to die to to allow the life of God to be released? So I'm going to ask you a bold thing. If you're here today and you're saying, actually, today I need to make that move. I cannot sit in the crowd any longer. I cannot just sit and, just, and not move into what God has got for me. You heard, no matter how unsuccessful, no matter how unqualified, no matter how ordinary the call is going out today, will you make yourself available to me? So I'm going to ask you, if that's you today, and you want to move from the crowd to the core, you want to move from compromise to standing conviction, you want to move from comfort to taking hold of the call of God, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. I'm the first one standing. But as we stand, I, for me, the standing is nothing unless there's a posture of faith in our heart. But Father, sons and daughters, stand. Before we pray, you always say, as you stand, there's a catch. There's a catch that's going to cost you everything. This journey of discipleship, of following Jesus, will cost you everything. But it will gain you more than you could ever have asked, dreamed, or imagined if you trust Him. If you're standing, can you lift your hands to God, respond how you would to your master, to your king. Father, I thank you right now for your word to settle on every heart, your spirit to bring conviction, to bring alignment in every heart. I thank you, Father God, for a people of availability, obedience, and people who die to self. I thank you, Father God, that as you're moving right now, men and women are making a move. They're being dared to move, and they're making a move out of the crowd to closeness with you, Jesus. They're making a move out of compromise to conviction, saying, I'm not going to mess around any longer. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. Put to death what God has put, told me to put to death. Give away what God has called me to give away. Apologize when I need to be apologizing. God, I'm going to do what you have said, Master. I don't feel like it. I don't see it. But because you said so. Will that word settle on every son and daughter? And as you, I thank you, Father God, as your eyes go over this ordinary, unqualified, unsuccessful bunch of people, your eyes see disciples. Your eyes see sons and daughters. And you're saying... Leave everything behind. Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Thank you. Would you do this by your spirit?